Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us, and welcome to Solar Power World's fifth and final Top Solar Contractors Roundtable discussion. Today, we're joined by several solar installation companies working in the U.S. utility scale market. Our roundtable series has all been in celebration of the 10th anniversary of the Top Solar Contractors list. The 2021 application closed last month, and the full list will be released in July, so keep an eye out for that. Everyone at Solar Power World works year-round to make it a resource for U.S. solar contractors. And in the top contractors list decade of existence, we've made a lot of connections with installers, especially without in-person industry events in the last year or so. <clears throat> Our panel members today are some of the minds behind the companies putting up many, many megawatts of solar in the United States. So let's get things rolling on this month's roundtable. This presentation is a companion to the Contractors Corner podcast, where you can hear new installer interviews every month. If you have any questions for our speakers, you can ask those through the Q&A widget on your screen, and we may address those after the presentation. Uh, okay, and the topic of today's discussion is utility scale market, a space where projects have reached a range of hundreds of megawatts and span just as many acres. It's the test bed for new solar technologies where hardware like large format modules and trackers first saw and still see the most use. And with that scale comes a greater focus on operations and maintenance with land and vegetation management considerations. From RP Construction Services, a contractor with over two gigawatts of installations under its belt specializing in tracking solar projects, we have founder and president Eb Russell. We're also joined by Melody Callender, Manager of Preliminary Design and Developmental Engineering at Innovative Solar, a developer based in the emerging Midwest market that's responsible for 500 megawatts of solar construction. Then we have Brenda Byers, Pre-Construction Director of the Renewable Energy Group at McCarthy Building Companies, an EPC contractor that has built over 4.9 gigawatts of clean energy production and over 340 megawatts of energy storage. And finally, today's presentation is sponsored by autonomous vegetation maintenance provider, Renew Robotics, and we have company CEO, Tim Mattis, on the line with us as well. So thank you all for being thank here. Uh, to kick off the discussion, let's talk about the newer technologies your companies are deploying at, you, uh, at a utility scale. Um, trackers are a familiar site in the utility solar segment, but Eb, what is the latest with RPCS and array trackers? Uh, thanks, Billy. And by the way, thanks, Kelly, Hallie, for putting this on. Uh, we're see, we are seeing, you mentioned larger form factor modules. Modules are getting bigger, longer, heavier, uh, less and less material. So larger wind spans, more uh, dead load. The forces are getting greater. And I think coupled with the less material in the module frames, the tracker needs to support more strength and material to support. So I think that's probably been the biggest engineering design change we've seen over like the last 12 months. Uh, currently, as everybody I think is probably aware in solar, uh, global demand and prices for aluminum and steel are way up. Uh, there's also a lot of congestion at the ports and there's a national shortage of trucks domestically. So uh, just freight logistics, lead times. And as we all know in solar, the end date never moves. So construction timelines are compressed. Uh, 
you know, with, with longer delivery schedules, it's taking more planning, more forecasting. Uh, we're, we're trying to make some forecasted purchases for our customers who haven't gotten all the way there yet, but make sure we're ready for them when the, uh, when the end of the year comes. On, that's mostly on the array side. On the RPCS side, uh, the design and engineering side, we're seeing a lot more hilly and rocky terrain as utility scale solar moves north uh, into the northern states. Uh, we're a lot of action in Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, even Maine, Massachusetts, uh, Iowa. So we're seeing uh, trackers happening everywhere now. I think trackers uh, versus fixed trackers are now widely recognized and accepted and they make economic sense. So I think trackers are spreading out everywhere. Our installations are getting larger. We had historically addressed the one to five megawatt market. And while that segment continues to be robust, we're seeing a lot of projects in that 20 to 100 project megawatt range. And lastly, uh, we're seeing a lot more complex builds. Solar's moving away from the flat farmlands and into some of the hillier, rockier stuff. So we've got to install on, on undulating terrain and then do some drilling and, and foundation drilling, things like that. Gotcha. Thank you for that, Eb. Um, on to Brenda. I can imagine McCarthy is a company that has seen a lot of technological advancements in its 150-year existence in terms of solar installation and project upkeep. What has the company put into use recently? Sure. Um, so uh, McCarthy incorporating new technologies and, and new innovation uh, into our designs and installation is part of what we do every single day. Um, as part of our, our core business and our core focus. Um, we're not only thinking about how we can do it better and, and faster, we're also thinking about what this means for the owner and for the end, user, uh, end user. Um So sometimes this means uh, executing on self-perform work that maybe nobody's done before. Um, sometimes it's uh, pairing up with an industry partner to look at a, a, a unique uh, installation or a unique system for a, a project that has very specific uh, requirements. Um, Ed mentioned how the sites are getting moving away from flat, uh, nice square land, and that's totally true. We're, we're seeing um, choppy sites, spread out sites, hilly sites, rocky sites, uh, uh, clay sites, sandies, like any, anything you name it. Um, and as we're going through those, uh, we, as we're working through those, we really want to make sure that we're thinking about the, the end user and the final system. Um, one of the things that we do um, to ensure that um, before we go and install thousands and thousands of these trackers over uh, hundreds or sometimes thousands of acres of land, uh, we want to ensure that the system can uh, withstand what it's uh, what it's designed for, withstand the elements basically, whatever whether it was uh, it's going to be out there and and and, uh, and that it, it's uh, it's um, sufficiently designed before we go out there and install the, the entire system. So we, uh, we collaborate with a, a uh, third-party expert as well as internal experts to evaluate uh, the systems in advance before they're deployed at uh, large utility scales. Um, sometimes that results in us uh, working together to maybe make a, a little tweak on something or, um, or just kind of get the, the peace of mind that the system's gonna, uh, gonna last. Uh, so that's one of the things that we look at when we're evaluating new technologies, um, especially as these projects are getting larger and larger. Usually they're uh, hundreds of megawatts um, and the smaller systems are 
are uh, fewer and far between. So uh, more and more important that we do our due diligence up front on the systems before they deploy. All right, thank you, Brenda. Um, so in addition to solar installation, Innovatus also has an equipment distribution service for other solar contractors. With that experience on both sides as a distributor and an installer, Melody, what qualities do the latest things in solar tech need to have to earn the Innovatus seal of approval for use in arrays? So Innovatus looks for um, efficiencies, new efficiencies, uh, bringing new efficiency to the table to up the game. We're also looking for a product that meets uh, the typical standards that you see, IEEE, UL, uh, those types of, of entities that have evaluated and make sure that the product is safe for the end user. Um, especially since we, you know, if we're using this through a distribution partner, uh, we wanna make sure that the products that they are using are uh, made for the market and that they are putting forth a, a quality pro uh, product then, you know, as we all know, uh, standard there's only so much you can do to standard equipment. So we're also keen on products that bring an innovate a level of innovation to uh, their footprint and looking at ways to um, increase production um, through through that uh, aforementioned efficiency. Um, so, you know, we can look at it that way. Then also we love to make sure that we are working with uh, companies that have kind of an esprit de corps and a creativity that they bring to, to the mix. Um, and that kind of plays into our core values as well as a company. We have kind of an acronym for that. Um, it's called PEACE, uh, Passion, Engagement, Ambition, Creativity, and Esprit de Corps. So um, we like to embrace other companies that uh, bring that to the table as well as those that are looking um, forward into making sure what they're doing uh, fits in a renewable footprint that we can present to our partners. All right, thank you for that. Um, so this one's for all of you to answer. Um, what's your process for getting installers familiar with new solar components before deploying them at scale? Um, Ab, why don't you start us off? Yeah, I think you know the the tracker sector, from our perspective, uh, has uh, uh, done a great job to mature, consolidate, uh, just as you'd expect from any industry. So I think, you know, we would sense that from the, in the tracker technology specifically, it's pretty mature now, and I think it would be a little bit harder for an unproven newer technology to gain meaning more, meaningful market share quickly. Uh, reliability in that as Brenda was pointing out is really a key. So I think, uh, but I think there's still a lot of opportunity in uh, in ancillary componentry to that system. We're seeing the whole tracker market, at least in our segment, become more productized. So sort of tracker on a skid, if you will. And a lot of the uh, wiring harnesses, the wire management features, and then in particular, we see a huge opportunity in the maintenance side in maintenance automation. And I don't want to steal Tim's show here, but uh, I, I think what his company's bringing is really important to this market to utilize automation technology to maintain these fields. Okay, great. Yeah, so 
Tim, I guess, how does it work for you guys at Renew Robotics when you're introducing something like this for these companies? Yeah, it's, that's a good question, and thanks for uh, the lead-in, uh, certainly, Evan. Uh, we we have to prove ourselves out, and we're doing so, and that's about you know tested time in the field. It's certainly, part of being a reliable product, uh, getting new technologies out there, uh, and what we're doing is is very new to this market: uh, autonomous electric tractors that can provide uh, maintenance for solar facilities, which we're talking about some very large facilities now you know, 1,000 acres, 2,000 acres, even up to 5,000 acres. So we have to prove it out over time. So some of what is good engineering, good practices, uh, continuing to make it things modular. Uh, but we also provide uh, what we call a monitoring uh, process in our system. So they're not just being deployed in the field. What we do is we put systems out in the field and we monitor them all the time to see how they're doing, to look at the status of each individual unit to understand if there's maintenance needs, if there's vibrations, if there's any issue with computer or data coming back, uh, we're continuously understanding what's happening and monitoring. It's part of that process of making a very solid product, a robust product in the field. And then if anything is even starting to give some signals of issues, we address them and then we improve that product over time. So kind of a new way of engineering and making good hard products in the field uh, without having to be right on location all the time. All right, thank you, Tim. Um, Melody, what about you guys over at Innovatus? How does this process of um, introducing folks to new solar tech work for y'all? Um, it's an education process. You, you have to take the standpoint, especially in the Midwest, as it's a relatively new uh, thought process to get them to embrace that they need, you need to teach them solar almost so you i mean you're you're teaching them the basics but then you're also uh trying to make sure that they understand uh the new technology um and how it can benefit them so you know i think the embracing the education standpoint and uh approaching uh that way and making sure that they understand because you know there can be a lot of misinformation that happens in a place that doesn't understand uh, new technology. So, you know, doing that is is key to um, helping uh, further uh, renewable footprint within a given vicinity. All right, thank you. And um, Brenda, why don't you round it out for us? Um, what's it like over at McCarthy? Sure. Uh, well, one of the things that's unique about McCarthy is that um, we have the ability to self-perform a majority of our work. Um, therefore, we're able to utilize experienced staff members to, uh, that have built hundreds and hundreds of megawatts um, on our projects and take them to other projects and, uh, and from job to job and, and have them help train other new teams and new staff members. Um, so this really helps reduce the learning curve so people aren't learning from scratch. We've kind of got dedicated members to, to help influence and, and uh, build up that training. Um, it also helps make sure that our people are brought up to speed safely um, and that they're aware of all the um, all the, the safety implications. Um, they've got a heavy safety training program um, amongst lots of other training programs. Um, McCarthy is also the, uh, the only solar construction company that has a, 
uh, a accredited apprenticeship program. Um, so training is really key. Um, we spend a lot of time and focus on our training, um, getting people um, you know, trained up front so that we can they can really hit the ground running, um, and and uh, having those kind of those procedures in place has made a really big difference in getting uh, getting the installation uh, workers up to speed quickly. All right, great. So let's transition into the maintenance portion of this discussion. Uh, around this time last year, I actually spoke to Scott Canada, VP of McCarthy's Renewables Group, uh, for a story on the company. And he said that McCarthy relies on old knowledge and applies it to new problems. Uh, Brenda, can you go into what that means and how McCarthy puts this into practice to improve longevity of solar sites? Sure. Um, and, and really, I mean, it can mean a lot of a lot of things. So I'm sure Scott has uh, several examples he could go into. Um, but uh, but really, how we feel is that innovation um, is sometimes it's not completely recreating the wheel. Um, sometimes it's just repurposing the wheel. Um, so we've been at McCarthy. We've been building for 157 years. So um, for example, we've got really old, extensive knowledge of our of the labor markets um, in this country. It's a, a deep and thorough, extensive understanding um, of how those labor pools work based on uh, generations and generations and decades of, of experience working in those communities and being part of those communities. Um, we, we like to combine that knowledge uh, with uh, other knowledge. Um, for example, uh, we like to find ways to apply existing knowledge that maybe uh, doesn't really get applied at all to solar uh, and find ways to apply it to solar. So, uh, and, and as an example, in the Midwest on one of our projects, we uh, brought in a, uh, a manufacturing expert from the auto industry and uh, worked with our teams. And um, this idea was really able to pay off really quickly. We saw enormous success um, in our productivity. Um, we saw impacts pretty much immediately. And we were also able to take those successes and apply them from job to job. Um, so that was kind of an example of just repurposing um, knowledge that exists, but doesn't necessarily exist in the way that uh, it's used today. Thank you for that, Brenda. Um, Eb, with more moving parts comes more O&M considerations. How has Tracker O&M advanced in the last few years and how does that upkeep contrast from fixed tilt projects on similar sized land tracts? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, tracker technology has really matured. So we're, you know, I make the tracker sector as a whole, uh, we, we obviously have some biases, but the tractor sector as a whole has done a great job to make systems extremely robust and reliable. So we see, we really actually see very little as far as maintenance. Uh, the tracker manufacturers have pulled a lot of the required maintenance out of the systems and uh, un unpredictable maintenance seems to be minimized as well. <clears throat> Trackers do have more ability to stow and hide in optimal positions for weather events than say a fixed tilt system. So trackers actually can provide a benefit there. The benefit in total harvest and seasonal and time of day harvest, optimal energy harvest well, in our opinion, of course, well outweigh the added upfront capex and the negligible maintenance cost as far as the cost to deliver a unit of energy over a project's useful life. So, you know, in, in our 
and as you see trackers, it used to always be believed that trackers, north, south, horizontal single axis trackers uh, outperformed fixed tilt most the closer to the equator with the big arc the sun makes from east to west. But now we're seeing so much solar all the way into Canada where we're supporting projects in Canada right now as well. And, and I think uh, horizontal <laughs> trackers as a sector has put behind them the concern of, of long-term O&M maintenance, the benefit of all the additional power generation. All right, that's really interesting. I might be biased because I'm the guy covering trackers for the magazine, but I'm glad to hear that. Um, so in addition to Innovative Solar's installation and distribution services, the company also expanded into solar financing back in October. Uh, Melody, from a system owner's perspective, what are you looking for in terms of O&M services to really get the most out of the life of a solar system? Pure and simple, from an owner standpoint, we're looking for uptime. Um, that's the most important thing. It's going to protect protect the investment that we've made in solar. So um, the the guiding force for looking at O and M for the, from that aspect is to make sure that we prevent anything from happening. So we're looking for uh, stringent preventative checks. Um, to make sure that we are identifying any potential issues before they happen. Um, you know, outage is, uh, is the enemy of, of a financier uh, as far as that's concerned because you know, their investment is to make sure that this is running at an optimal level. So outage, um, you know, not having outages and being able to prevent that and keeping uptime is much more bankable. Um, from that standpoint, um, it also reduces costs in the long run to make sure that we prevent anything from happening. Um, the other key um, is how quickly can we roll a truck into the field to get an issue handled? Um, you know, we're looking at a couple of, we're looking at like a day or two um, max of time for, for um actually getting in the field and starting to the diagnosis process and, you know, making sure that we can get something handled and uh, back up and running within, you know, two to three days. So that's probably from a financial, financial point of view is the most important thing. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Tim, as our resident expert on vegetation management, uh, how are autonomous landscaping technologies fitting into O&M considerations of solar technicians at a utility scale? And where do you see a service like Renew Robotics heading as solar projects grow in size and scope? Sure. Um, we see, you know, we're, we're very focused on the O&M side of solar. Uh, of course, there's things that can be done on the uh, beginning side of really developing the facilities, but we're focused on you know mowing properties as an initial product. But there's a lot of other areas that we can go with technologies like autonomous uh, tractors and systems. Uh, mentioning the the maximum uptime as possible on these systems. Um, of course, one of the products that we're looking to build is a autonomous cleaning system to clean the solar panels to increase productivity. But also, uh, we have the ability to inspect panels as we move along. So even when we're mowing, uh, we have cameras, LIDAR, that has the ability to monitor all things throughout the facility. 
uh, that can provide uh, preventative uh, maintenance issues. So looking at panels for delamination, for cracks, for wires hanging, those things that could cause longer term disruption to your power. Uh, if we can find those earlier on and really stop that, or say change panels out when we know they're probably going to fail within six months, we can keep maximum uptime on those facilities and, and uh, make sure that we maximize the profits of those facilities. Of course, uh, even just mowing grass and keeping the areas clean uh, can be expensive for some of the facilities. And we've got the one east where grass grows fast. Um, and that is a continuous maintenance issue that they have to work on. Uh, this was one of those years as well with COVID coming in, we're getting calls continuously because it was just difficult to find people to work in the field to get crews out to those sites. Uh, and the cost, you know, is considerable when you're traveling far to go to these large sites. A lot of them are not necessarily right at right by big cities. They're far away in really local regions. Uh, in Texas, you know, we know of you know twenty to thirty thousand acres that are located pretty well out in the middle of you know old oil lands, not close to to areas where there's lots of people. So sending a truck out to fix that, people are typically gonna live in the cities and those type of things. So it's it's all the way through from you know the beginning as well. We are now working on uh, conversations with a lot of developers saying, how do we design these things into the new facilities as we put up solar and it's a thousand acres or 2000 acres. We really wanna think about the, the uh, the maintenance over time and not just after the fact of once it's built. We wanna make sure we include it at the beginning and it allows an opportunity for ITC credit for some of the equipment as well. All right, thank you, Tim. Um, so as we're all aware, 2020 wasn't an easy year for anybody um, with many people, myself included, working from home and staying inside, electricity usage was up. So I'm sure some municipal and utility customers would have appreciated some lower electricity bills. So I'll ask our three contractor guests, what was it like trying to work with municipalities in your respective territories as they were being passed down COVID regulations? Have permitting processes leveled back out to how it was pre-pandemic? Um, Brenda, McCarthy is the only company present that has, or can say that it's survived two pandemics. Why don't you get us started? Sure. Uh, well, working through both pandemics, our number one priority remained to be safety of our employees and our workers. Um, so we had to adapt really quickly to uh, deploy company-wide safety processes and practices to help keep these projects moving forward through the pandemic while keeping everybody safe. Um, so that was extremely important. Um, there was uh, tons of focus and, and dedication um, right off the bat on how, how that can be done. Um, communication was also key. Uh, so we had to learn how to communicate in new ways um, and make sure that our communication was stronger than ever. That played true amongst ourselves, but it also played true with our clients, with our uh, subcontractors and suppliers and, and partners, as well as our municipalities and, uh, and permitting agencies. Um, so we made sure to, to keep that communication strong. Um, we had to learn how to adapt um, to our own communication styles as well as the communication styles that, um, that others were adapting. So um, some of our, our clients uh, adapted different communication uh, uh, styles uh, and techniques through the pandemic than 
uh, some of the permitting agencies. So we learned to be really flexible, but not lose sight of communication. Um, and, and keeping that focus on both safety and communication really allowed us to keep our projects moving forward. Um, we, uh, we were able to keep all of our, all of our solar projects um, on track without uh, compromise, compromising our, our end dates. Um, and without that strong attention to the communication across all fronts with literally everybody, um, permitting agencies, but um, everybody involved in the project, uh, we, we wouldn't have been able to be so successful. So it really was that focus on the communication, being adaptive in our communication, um, and a continued focus on safety so we can keep the projects moving forward. All right. Thank you, Brenda. Um, Ab, what about you guys? The, the industry absolutely caught us off guard March of 2020 uh, as COVID onset. We were anticipating a very slow uh, March through June. And uh, I think a lot of the utility scale projects, they had to adopt some really solid COVID policy and uh, those asset owners pushed those projects out. I think in turn, the smaller projects got pulled in and we were out of control. I mean, we just couldn't even keep up with the amount of, of uh, growth right there in that May, June, July timeframe. So it really caught us off guard. I, in all the years of, uh, you know, been in solar a long time, always felt pretty good about being able to predict the next nine to 12 months and sort of how it's gonna play out. And I've missed it. I didn't ever thought an industry uh, go so gangbusters and maybe it was because all these other industries restaurants and everything else were closing down and solar's outdoor construction that had an easier way of toggling back in but in the favor so that caught us off guard uh we managed through it uh got through it and you know got all the projects done but that was probably the biggest surprise that uh, covid gave us and and then just to reiterate all of brenda's points it, it is it was challenging we uh, immediately went virtual with everyone we could, uh, put required screen time, uh, and then with the crews, tried to spread work <laughs> crews out, van pods, truck pods, distancing, all the different safety protocols you need to make sure that uh, people on site are safe. And if there is a uh, incident, that it's isolated to a smaller group. And we're very fortunate. Glad to hear it. All right. So, Melody, what about you folks over at uh, Innovatus? Um, I would say that, you know, being in, in solar for five years and then about 20 years um, in construction itself, it's kind of a, it was such an interesting, um, interesting time. Um, it's not something I ever thought I would see especially from a permitting standpoint and, you know, working with municipalities, they tend to be a face-to-face -face type of action. And that changed drastically. Um, I feel like both uh, the industry and then, you know, municipalities and, you know, AHJ entities had to reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, we saw things closed for a little while. Uh, but then they realized that, you know, hey, this is going to drag on. We're going to need to start doing something about it. So um, I feel like the biggest thing is that you know, we've kind of seen a seismic shift in the thought process from AHJs and municipalities and that they're starting to realize that 
um, you don't have to have that face-to-face -face interaction. You can do things um, digitally and virtually. Um, so, you know, we see the a lot more acceptance, especially in the Midwest, it tends to be, you, know, you get a lot of rural areas where uh, one, one agency handles a couple different counties where they're more than more than happy to do things digitally um, for the most part. Um, I also feel like it, this has allowed the industry as a whole to realize that remote work uh, is viable. Um, and I, I mean, just as Eb, Eb said, we were we were busy too. So you know, realizing that you can still function at a high rate and a high success rate um, virtually um, working remotely with all of your, your folks is probably uh, one of the biggest things I think COVID has added to the industry as a whole. Thank you, Melody. Um, so we're gonna get to our last few questions. Um, if you do have questions for any of us on the panel right now, feel free to um, send those in. But to round this out, um, let's chat a bit about the solar investment tax credit and the future of utility scale solar installations. So we saw an, uh, an ITC extension uh, taking the current 26% rate through 2022. Ebb with the available incentives and the current political climate surrounding renewables, what's in store you think for RPCS? Oh, it's, it's lights out. We're extremely bullish. This is the energy revolution. Oil and gas companies are the proof. They're rushing into renewables in a huge way. Uh, Ford launched the E-150 pickup. There's no turning back. We see the pace of projects accelerating from getting things designed and engineered through procurement, permitting, into installation and operation. Uh, utility plants are becoming more and more productized. Uh, you know, trackers on a skid laid out, installed in trickier terrain perhaps, but nonetheless, there's less of the how-to uh, from even five years ago and more of the how-to at 50 to 100 sites simultaneously all the time. You know, it's uh, growth challenges, having enough uh, field crew, machines, equipment, uh, know-how to uh, deliver each project successfully, uh, not you know, not flounder, and uh, make sure that they all get built on time. But it's it's really going to be a bullish. I mean, we see the energy for the world 5.0 is coming, and it's here, and and we're in the middle of it. Uh, we're at the beginning of it, and yeah, hugely bullish. All right, thank you for that, Eb. Uh, the Midwest isn't known to be the friendliest market for solar. Um, and it's, I know it's not the company's sole territory, but how is Innovatus feeling about its future and the future of the industry in general? Um, I've always liked to say that uh, renewables got a good start on the coast and that eventually they'd find their way to the Midwest. Um, with uh, utilities shuttering coal plants at a record pace. Uh, I think the Midwest is uh, turning to renewables to pick up that slack. So that pending migration um, from the coast is actually happening now. Um, we're starting starting to see that in the amount of RFPs that are coming out for, um, from Midwest utilities. Uh, they realize that 
um, you know, it's the wave of the future and they're surprisingly and happily embracing it um, early on in the process. Um, I feel like uh, the other positive steps that we're starting to see is a shift in the mindset of our state leaders in that they're willing to start looking at this and evaluating um, the viability of renewables, uh, not just solar, but uh, you know, wind and whatnot. Uh, they're looking at that as a, a way to fill that slot or that need for, um, you know, the power that that we are requiring uh, moving forward. Um, I also feel like, you know, <clears throat> state leaders are seeing this as a viable option for economic growth within. Uh, the state, counties, even even down to the granular uh, municipal level. Um, and then that's driving the thought of bringing solar to the Midwest. All right. Thank you, Melody. And Brenda, in your five years with McCarthy, you've seen it through <laughs> the development of more than two gigawatts of solar. Um, what's on the horizon for the company? Um, well, at the company, uh, at McCarthy, we want to continue to be an innovative leader in, in the industry. Uh, we want to continue to make uh, or choose uh, the right clients and, and partners uh, that that allow us to be innovative and to grow together. Um, we can't just grow on our own. It, it, um, it takes others, uh, other partners to kind of build that up together. Um, so we want to continue, continue that focus. Um, I think that can mean a lot of things as the industry uh, evolves and as new technology um, comes out. Uh, I was joking with a colleague uh, a couple weeks ago about how I think modules are kind of like cell phones. Um, they're going to be changing in, in size and maybe get bigger, maybe they'll get smaller. And I think the, the size will kind of change around. And, um, and uh, part of our job during that is to make sure that um, as those changes happen, that uh, we are guiding our clients through understanding the impact so that they still have the best project at the end of the day um, and that we're finding solutions for all of those changes um, through through the innovations uh, there's there's always going to be um, things that come up in the industry that we have to work around and find solutions for um, so we want to continue to be that solution finder um, and get ahead of some of these uh, techno technology uh, advancements that will continue to come every single year um, we don't expect that to slow down. I don't think anybody does. Um, so as as the technology grows, uh, we'll plan to continue to stay ahead of it and um, have solutions ready um, that we can present to our clients to, to keep their projects moving forward and to keep the momentum of the overall industry. All right. Thank you, Brenda. Well, I have the honor of concluding our series of top contractors roundtables. The fact that we've been able to maintain the top solar contractors list for a decade now speaks to the longevity of the industry that we're trying to support. As I said earlier, the final list will be released next month via virtual gala hosted by myself and my colleagues, Kelly Pickerel and Kelsey Misprinter. And of course, you'll be able to find the full list at our website, solarpowerworldonline.com. So thanks to our panelists and audience for attending this and our previous roundtables. And a special thank you to Tim Mattis and Renew Robotics for sponsoring this roundtable. Take care, everyone. <laughs>